Crystal Green is a 22-year industry veteran, an independent stylist and educator. She's also the host of Your Hair Mentor podcast, a course creator, and considers her client her and considers herself a client advocate. She's also a published author. Today, we are going to hear her story, how she's gotten to where she's at, and what she's doing now. Welcome back to the Hairdresser Strong Show. My name is Robert Hughes, and I'm your host. And today, I'm here with Crystal Green. How are you doing today, Crystal? Hi, I'm doing really well. Thank you. Excited to be here. Good, good. Me too. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, so, um, you know, before we were talking uh, before we started the show, we were talking a little bit about how like there's all these things you're doing and you think it's mundane and I I don't. So I'm very curious to hear your story, how you started, how you got to where you are. And um, yeah, so why don't you start by telling us like what, how'd you like from the time, did you go to school? Did you do an apprenticeship program and uh, you, and then go from, from there? Yeah. All right. Saddle up. Um, it's funny listening to you list all of those things. I'm like, wow, that does sound pretty good. Uh, because when we're talking, I'm like, I'm, I'm just a hairdresser and I sit behind a microphone, right? Like no big deal. Uh, it's really funny though, because I didn't even want to be a hairstylist. Like I was going to be a dentist. That was my career path since like fourth grade. I was one of those strange little kids that was obsessed with teeth. And, you know, I wanted to do something that was like an elevated career. I wanted to go to school, go to college. I wanted to make good money. I wanted to be important and I wanted to help people. And so for some reason I latched onto this idea that like the dental field was that. And okay. I am I wanted to be like first generation college student. I come from a really small town. I'm from Chico, California. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it at all. No, where's that? It's like Northern California at the northern end of the Central Valley. It's farmland with a small college. And so like when I was growing up, um, at its biggest time when the college was full, it was like 99,000 people. So not a huge town. Okay. Um, and I'm like looking around going like, you know, dentists make good money and they, you know, they drive nice cars and that sounds pretty good. I'm going to do that. So that was my trajectory all through high school and everything. And meanwhile, I liked playing with hair, but I didn't even know that people did hair for a living. Like I didn't even know that was a job. I didn't know that was an opportunity. I don't know what I thought. I knew salons existed, but I don't know. I just had no clue. Never been in them myself. And uh, I like to play with my friend's hair for fun with like the orange handled kitchen scissors, you know, <laughs> doing the thing yeah. with the Barbies or whatever. And uh, I have a little sister who, bless her heart, would let me play with her hair. And I don't know why I got my hands on this or why this woman sold this to me rather, but at a yard sale in my senior year of high school, I bought a haircutting razor for 25 cents, like a feather razor. It had a guard on it, thank goodness, but this woman sold this to me at a yard sale. I'm like, how do I use this thing? This is pre-YouTube, right? Um, and she kind of told me, you just kind of like, you know, scrape it along the hair. And I'm like, okay, cool. This sounds fun. And so my little sister being as kind as she was, allowed me to use this razor on her. And now this was back when like short, flippy hairstyles were really popular, like circa mm. 2000, right? And so I gave her a haircut like that. And my mom coming from like her hippie era is still like a hippie at heart with her long hair was terrified that I gave my sister this short haircut. And so she took her to a salon to get it fixed. 
And of course I wanted to go along. I was like, I want to see what this like hairstylist is going to say about this haircut. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching the lady cut my sister's hair. And she says, you know, minus a few angles here and there, this isn't a bad haircut. And I kind of nudged my mom like, see mom, told you. And the lady's like, you did this? I'm like, yes, I did this. She's like, have you had any training? I'm like, no, I haven't had any training. And she encouraged me to go to beauty school. She's like, you have a natural knack for this. And I was like, oh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to be a dentist. Well, it turns out this woman was a teacher at the beauty school. And so she was like, you know what? This is a really great career. It's a really good way to work your way through school if you want to do something fun. She talked me into going and at least checking it out. So I said, okay. So I go in there, have a chat with the people at the registration, and it's only 10 months. And I thought, you know what? That sounds kind of fun. I think I'd rather do that than work in a restaurant or another retail while I'm going to dental school. So sure, I'll do this. So I put all my dental dreams on hold for 10 months, and I went to beauty school. And it was fun. It was a good time. Made some friends, made some mistakes, had a good time. And uh, so then I graduated beauty school, and I go right back to my plan of being a dentist, okay? And uh, I think it was four months into working in the salon and also going to school for dental school and also working in a dentist office because hours matter in that career where I had a moment that kind of made me step back and realize I couldn't be a dentist anymore. Now, remember, I wanted to do this because I wanted to help people, right? So I have my day in the, in the, uh, excuse me, in the dental office this morning where every patient that comes in kind of lamented in the same way. And it wasn't unusual. I mean, do you like going to the dentist? Not really. Right. Most people don't. Like I said, I'm kind of like the weirdo in this. I'm the, I'm the minority. I get like excited when I get my teeth cleaned. I'm like, yes, I get to go in. And even if I have a cavity to fill, which I've had a lot of them, I've actually had a lot of bad experiences in the dental field. I still like going. I'm a weirdo. Most people come in and they're like, oh, I don't want to be here. Right. I've been dreading this all week. And so I had a day full of patients coming in while I'm filing paperwork and doing everything but touched them because I wasn't uh, licensed yet. Uh, everyone's saying the same thing, right? Oh, I don't want to be here. This is awful. And then I go to the salon at my mall salon job, which was so cool at the time. Uh, and this woman had called in for a haircut and she called in to get in with anyone. And since I was the newbie with no clients, of course, I was the one that took the, the call in or the walk in. And as I'm walking her back to my chair, it's like, Oh, hi, nice to meet you. Welcome in. She sits down in my chair and she lets out this audible sigh of relief. Just, she says, I'm so happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this all day. And I look at her and I'm like, what did you say? Because immediately all these things are going through my head. There's like 60 things going through my mind. I'm like, oh my God, this woman doesn't even know me. She doesn't even know if I can cut in a straight line. She wasn't referred to me. She's happy to be here. And then all the people at the dental office don't like to be there, even though that dentist is amazing and wonderful. I can't be a dentist. And so I look at her and the only thing that comes out of my mouth is, I can't be a dentist. <laughs> and she's like, what? And I'm like, then trying to backtrack and explain to her this like, you know, freight train that's going through my head. And I was like, and you don't even know me and you're happy to be here. And like, I'm going to take scissors to your hair and you don't even know if I can cut in a straight line. Now she's looking terrified and I'm like, well, don't yeah. worry, don't worry. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give you a good haircut. I can cut in a straight line. I promise. 
Um, but it's like, okay, in that moment, I just realized two things. I realized for one, I don't want to be a dentist because I don't want to be in a career where people don't want to see me, right? Um, that part of like wanting to help people for me, it's really like this altruistic thing. Like I, I want to do it because it makes me feel good, right? And what would not make me feel good is having people come in and go, ugh, I don't want to be here. Just get it over with, right? It made me feel really good to think that this person wanted to see me for just feelings, not even the hair. And so I was like, okay, so I can't be a dentist. But at this point, I still didn't see hairdressing as a real career. This was just like my fun side gig that I was going to do to get to my real career, okay? But I also realized in that moment, the customer experience was more important than the hair. And so like, I had some hair skills, but I wasn't great, you know? I was fresh out of beauty school and I'd been wielding yard sale razors and orange-handled kitchen scissors my whole life. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. But she still had a great time and came back to see me multiple times. And so really just making people feel good was going to make me way more successful in my eyes. Now, I didn't think that actually was going to be with hair. I was like, okay, so what else can I do in college with these classes I'm taking and this path I kind of went on that could serve people, make them feel good, but also give me that elevated status that I was looking for because I still didn't see hair as that. And then uh, I really stumbled around with all sorts of ideas. I was like, maybe I'm going to be a nurse. Maybe I'm going to be a physical therapist, a nutritionist. I'm kind of nerdy. I kind of like the sciences a bit. And so I thought I would land in something like that. And I got to a point I ran out of classes that I could take at the junior college because that's where I was at first. And I had to go to big girl school, which meant I had to pay for it, which meant I needed financial aid. And uh, at that point, I had moved out of my mall job to go rent a booth somewhere. I kind of just outgrew my space there very quickly. And How so I was, oh, it was probably, it was almost two years that I was in the mall job. And two why years. did you, why, how did that, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because there's a lot of uh, young people that want to get into a suite and uh, they're hearing more and more, finally, that maybe going to a suite right after school isn't the best idea. But, you know, at what right. point in time is, like, how did you, like, how do you feel? Yeah, what can you speak on that? Yeah, well, really what happened is I asked for a raise and they said no. Okay. So I was making $8 an hour. Um, no commission? No commission. <laughs> oh yeah why not commission was that just how they did it or was yeah that level that you were at no it, that's just how they did it it was just a I was paid by the hour for my job and I got to keep my tips and so even oh. though I was charging $130 for a partial and a haircut I made $8 an hour regardless oh yeah well okay well that's a reason enough right there yeah and I was a <laughs> sales machine too like I I was there for my customers right like I was I was like in it I was like okay I'm gonna make you feel so good right and this is this is gonna make your hair feel fantastic you know between times that I see you and I just was like in the experience with them and so sales was very easy so I was making them a lot of money and I got to the point where I was fully booked all the time, more so than the stylist that had been there for 10 years. And so I went to the owner and was like, hey, I need a raise. And she's like, I'm really sorry. We just can't do that at this time. And so I said, okay, bye. <laughs> like, I don't want to go run a business. I want to go to college, but like, I can't stay here and make $8 an hour because I am I know at this point I'm an asset, you know? And Did so you I went. school 
I did not actually, but it it was a choice um, because I embraced this career so much. I was going to say, like, how long did it take? Okay, so you're in a suite and uh, not a suite. I'm sorry, I was renting a booth in a, a booth. large okay. salon. Yes. So you're rent so you're renting this booth, and uh, you're now you're you're probably seeing that you can make like the money that you can make is I would assume from $8 an hour to running your own business. Like that's, you know, it's one thing to go from like a 50% commission running your own business. Like from what I understand, the profit, the difference in how much money you can make isn't as going to be mind blowing as going from $8 an hour to managing your own. Oh, dude, a hundred percent. And I actually, cause I want, yeah. I wanted to take all my clients with me, um, and I didn't. I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about you know anything really, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to offer a discount to all of my clients that follow me. I'm going to give them like a 10% discount, right? So they're not they're not paying as much. I'm making way more money, and I thought maybe half of them would follow me. I think 99% of them followed me, and in my first day as a booth renter, I made more than I made in a week. Totally. Working in the salon. And I was like, are <laughs> you kidding me? Like, I just didn't even see the potential. Right. And, yeah. So then it just blew my mind. And I, I was working part-time as a booth renter, making more money, like tenfold than I was as an employee somewhere. And obviously, then I had like the freedom to do all the things I couldn't do. I Like at the mall job that I had, I had to wear um, a dress suit. And like pantyhose, like I'd be like in this uniform that was awful. Um, and so just like the freedom of not having to wear that anymore. I'm like, oh, I can wear jeans or yoga pants to work if I want to. And I still looked professional, but um, it was like a mind-blowing experience with the freedom. But I still didn't embrace it as like my career. I was like, cool, I'm making a lot more money. This is fantastic. I can't wait to make oodles more money with my college degree job. Um, and so then for the next like two years, I was going to school part-time working mostly part-time. And, uh, I got to a point where I ran out of classes, right. At the junior college. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta move on out of here and go pick a path because I, I'd done all of the anatomy, biology, physiology, chemistry, all the maths. I had like this huge base to then go do anything as a career right path. And, uh, I was like, I'm going to have to quit my job. I'm going to have to quit my salon job to go to school full time to make it worth taking out financial aid, you know, to go do the um, big college degree. And I'm like, why? Why am I doing this? I'm like, now I'm looking at a six figure job that I'm not even working full time. And I want to get a degree job so that I'm important. And I'm like taking a look at all of these people that I serve in my salon job. You know, it's like the um, local news anchor, the nurses, the professors, the moms, the restaurant owners, the farmer's wife that is, you know, like one of the most affluent people I've ever met in my life. All of these like really important people that call me when they need something. And I was like, wait a minute, I am an important person already. Like I am already an influential, elevated person in my community, and I don't think I'm going to get any better than I am right now with this. Like this is a pretty special place, and I don't think I can walk away from this position that I'm in. And so I did not finish college, and I thought, you know what? That I don't think that makes sense for me. I think I found my calling here. It just took me five years to embrace it. Totally. 
Okay, yeah. so you're independent, and uh, tell us how you go from from that point to, um, you know, like you, you know, we mentioned that you are a course creator, client advocate. I'm very curious to know what that means. What does yeah. client advocate mean? Oof. Okay, so you know, I came into this career not taking it seriously, right? And it took me a bunch of years to embrace how powerful. I am as a hairstylist. And in the meantime, I got really freaking good at customer service because all I cared about in that moment was like that dopamine hit of making people feel good for me, right? And like the hair part of it, I did take it seriously. I enjoy the craft and I'm creative and I took classes, but really and truly like my superpower is my customer service skills. And that was just something that it was almost like selfish. Like I just enjoyed that part. And, uh, over the years, I realized that I was way better at customer service than anyone else that I know. And so I kind of slowly started chatting with my fellow stylists about it and would kind of help them hone in on things like they'd have frustrations about their clients. I'm like, well, maybe you should talk to them this way or, you know, offer this instead or use this word or this language. And so over the years, I found myself as just kind of being this like, um, I could handle any client person, right? Like if you had a problem client, send them to me. They're not a problem. They're just a person that needs better communication, okay? And so I kind of, I found this like position that I had in the career where I was like, I'm just really good with people and, you know, I can I can solve any customer's problems, really. And then um, I ended up moving out of that, out of California and moved to Texas with my husband, who's a fireman. And accidentally started another career there as a hairstylist. I didn't want to. I was I wanted to go back to California um, eventually, so I didn't want to put roots down in Texas. And I ended up just kind of meeting people. I started a mobile hair business there. I was just like, it's fun. Like Again, it's fun. It makes me feel good. Um, when people come to you for the first time, they have like hair problems, and I like to solve them like a little detective. And all the while, I'm like gathering all of this intel over the years, clients telling the same story over and over and over again. My hairdresser didn't listen to me. My hairdresser doesn't care. You know, that's, it's not, I asked for something and they gave it to me and I didn't like it, right? Which maybe it's part of it they're not admitting, but over and over again, it was like, no one's listening to me. No one cares about me. And that made me feel sad. And it wasn't until I moved again to Nevada, where I currently am, and started my third business very successfully again, that I'm like, you know, I think I'm onto something here with the customer service. Like, I am no better of a hairdresser than so many other people that I know in terms of skills, right? Like, I can do some things, but I'm not great, but I'm really good at talking to people. And I think it's a skill. I didn't start this way. I just kind of honed in on this skill over the years. And like, turns out it's powerful, and you can teach people to do this. And so then the pandemic hit. And like, I'm sure a lot of people that you've spoken with recently said, oh, that was a time to reflect and think what's next. What can I do on top of this or instead of this? And that was the first time I actually sat back and thought, maybe I could turn this into something where I can help more than just the clients I see and the stylists that I work with and that I know. And I could kind of spread this out a little bit more. So originally, when I started Your Hair Mentor, it was the idea that I was going to help clients, right? So I was like the spokesperson for the clients. It was me going, hey, clients, I know what you need, and I know that you're suffering and you're struggling, and I'm going to teach you how to speak with your hairstylist better because I want you to be happy. I want you to walk in and have that ah, 
feeling every time. And so that was great and like fun. And I made courses that were like how to style, manage, and maintain your hair at home. Um, I wrote a book that I never actually ended up publishing because I couldn't figure out how to end it. It was like I needed to show people, right, how to do stuff. It was I explained like all the things about hair, but in like layman's terms and like what to ask for, how to ask for it. And then I was like, you know what? I think I can help more clients by empowering the hairstylist. Because even if a client knows all the right things and knows what to ask for and, you know, says the right things, if that stylist is not on board and they're not speaking the same language, it all falls apart. So then I shifted again. And so now I'm in this like metamorphosis right now, I feel like, where I am am still for the clients. I'm still here to get every client feeling good and heard and seen and valued. But I'm trying to teach the hairstylist how to do that. Gotcha. And uh, so you, but you are a published author, correct? Yes. So I did write a book. What is that about? (laughs) This was something that came to me in a dream. Okay. So um, years and years ago, I was in New York with some coworkers of mine. We were going to a Bumble and Bumble education um, thing. We were a Bumble salon back then. So we were going to the house of Bumble to do, you know, product knowledge and haircutting classes. And uh, we sat for a haircutting class one day that was a razor class, and I'm sitting next to my coworker who um, is very uh, detail-oriented person, and she's writing down every single step of this haircut, every step, right? Like what position this woman's standing in, what angle her arm is at, and I'm looking at her like, dang, girl, I'm just enjoying the show, right? And I'm like, I can kind of get the gist of it pretty quickly. And then when it came time to work on our models, we were standing right next to each other and my coworker is assessing her notes the whole way. And I'm just kind of wing dinging it over here and like eventually figured it out. And we ended up with the same haircut. And so at the end of the day, uh, my coworker was telling me like, God, I hate that you can do that, Crystal. I'm like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you're like a an artist. I'm like, whatever. So are you. And she's like, well, yeah, but I'm like a robot stylist. Like I can do it, but I have to be told the steps, every you know piece of the puzzle to then put it back together. She's like, I'll be able to recreate it over and over and over again. And you just come in and you just do it. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I think we just work differently, but that planted a seed in my mind of like the different types of artists that we can be. And so to then go back to this book, I I had this dream where I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, there's like different flavors of hairstylists and I can see it over and over and over again. And so I wrote this book to describe the three hairstylist archetypes and talk about like how they process information, how they work behind the chair. There's like the innovators on one end and the architects, I didn't call them robots because that's not kind, you know, Uh, the architects, which need like structure and a blueprint, you know, and they, they follow that and they build things. And the innovators are up here, you know, creating things on the other end and they don't even know what they really made. They just kind of like threw it together. And then in the middle, um, I'm like, oh my God, I'm blanking on what I called the person. The, um, oh my God, I can't remember the person in the middle. This is so embarrassing right now. I haven't even thought about this book in a long time. I'll, it'll come to me. But the, the other archetype in the middle is like the person who translates and then makes the blueprint, right? And so you see this in our industry over and over again. You've got like the platform artists who are on stage doing these like wild and crazy things. And then you've got the people that can take that and change it to use in the salon. 
and then, you, you know, take that blueprint and share it with their coworkers that can then do it over and over again. And you can also see the architects in the um, crowd watching an innovator on stage going, I don't know what the hell they're doing. What is even happening right now? They missed a step. They're not telling me what angle that is. I'm lost. Right. And so that book was just my way of kind of explaining um, these different artistic types that we have. And then also where they would fit in the industry and succeed mostly based on those personality types and those traits that they have. Cool. Yeah. And, you know, it was just like something that I think I'm a creative person and things come to me and I was like, I have to get this out there. And so I just made that as a way to just do something, right? I needed to put something out there for hairstylists. And that was before I landed on this idea of like customer service being my real like heart song. Um, and so I think it's still relevant and it's valuable, but it's probably not like my passion project. I think I'm really passionate about the customer service piece, which is what I'm working on currently. All right, cool. Yeah. So you, the, you were, you've been an independent stylist since you left the salon and uh, question, were you working in a salon while you were in school or did you just go to school and then get a job after school? Oh no, I just went to school and then got a job after. Okay. And then you worked at the salon for two years mm -hmm. and then uh, for the last 20, you've been an independent stylist. And as an independent stylist, you've uh, created some courses and you've, and these courses were for clients, right? Yes. Like originally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then, uh, and then you have a published book. Uh, so tell us, like, I'm wondering if we should dive into some more details the next time we speak, but uh, it sounds like you've accomplished a lot. What, if, what were your biggest struggle, uh, between, you know, going out on your own from the time you went on your own to to now, like what have what has been your biggest struggle that mm. you've had to overcome? Probably learning how to use social media. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So okay. Um, my last move, which landed me in Nevada, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go start a new salon business. I went and got a, a suite to rent. Because I'm like, I'm an, I'm an independent. I like being independent. And I'm like, I'm going to rent a suite at this point. I know what I'm doing. I know enough about business to successfully run one and have the retail thing going. And so what I've done in the past with the last two salons and businesses that I built is I hit the ground running in person, right? Like I went and met people and shook their hands and found a way to somehow throw into every conversation that I'm a hairstylist. I didn't go around and be like, hey, I need clients. It would just, it would, I would like weave it in naturally. It'd be in like Hobby Lobby and I'd see some lady with a cute haircut be like, oh my God, your haircut's so cute. Where do you get it done? And then, you know, maybe she would tell me, I'm like, God, oh, I'm a hairdresser. And I'm like, if you have any friends that want a haircut like that, I would love to see them. And of course, then she, oh, where do you work? And so I would talk to people and put myself out there. So I come to Nevada and I'm like, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to build a clientele again. I go in and get business cards made because that's what I did in the past. And my business card just had my name and my phone number and the address of my salon. And I met this cute girl in the bank one day and I'm starting a conversation with her and um, she's like, oh, where do you work? And so I hand her my card and she goes, what's your handle? I'm like, I'm sorry, my what? What's your handle? I'm like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not tracking. She's like on Instagram. And I was like, oh, I don't do Instagram. And she was like, 
oh, okay. And she's probably like 20 years old at the time. And I could see her literally sliding my card over. And I'm like, oh my God, that is going in the trash can the second I walk away. And so I walk out of there and I'm like, shit, Instagram? I have to use Instagram now? I barely use Facebook right now. And so I had to figure out how to then market myself digitally. So I guess it wasn't just Instagram. It was just marketing myself in the digital landscape and how different that is than marketing myself in person. Because again, as I said before, like people are almost like um, my strength, right? Like I could, I've learned how to not manipulate, but kind of manipulate conversations with people. Um, within 30 seconds of meeting someone, I can kind of figure out how I need to speak with them in order to resonate with them. And so having a conversation with strangers comes easy. And social media and digital marketing is so different. So how so did that, you? So what did you do to overcome it? Oh gosh, um, I'm still overcoming it every day. You know what I mean? Um, as, as the digital landscape changes, we're always evolving, and so I guess what I did is I started paying attention and learning how to change the way I show up so that it still seems like me. It still seems authentic, um, so and not you, like you didn't curated. take any courses. No, not no. on social media at all whatsoever. Not what about like uh, thirty second courses on uh, on social media about social media? I mean, <laughs> like a lot not, of videos. You follow yeah. any like? Did you follow any uh, social media influencers? Not necessarily hair people. In order to learn, you know, like Mark, you know, there's marketing folk on there that post all these little tips. So you're like constantly getting little tiny little like you know nuggets of information. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think who – I think Jasmine Starr was the first one that caught my attention that, you know, the way she speaks and the way she shows up kind of resonated with me. And so I started paying attention to what she did. I did actually pay for her membership for a little while, which was called like Social Curator. And, and so it, th this is a marketing person, a social media person? Yeah, okay. yeah. But yeah. I didn't use any of her stuff. So I paid for the thing. I logged in. And it's all of these like – um yeah, what are they, like stock photos that you can use and like prompts and things that are like fill in the blank stuff. And I'm like, none of this applies to me at all whatsoever. Like this is not okay. And so then I canceled it. I was like, eh, it's not my jam. And then I think it was on a podcast. I heard someone speak about like a rhythm of posting on social media that people do. It's like, oh, on Mondays I do behind the scenes. On Tuesdays I do how-tos. On Wednesdays I just show my work. And they weren't in the beauty industry at all. And then once I heard that, I saw it everywhere on social media. All these people that I were following just because I, I was inspired by them. I was like, oh my God, they're all doing the same thing. They like a all pattern. Yes. And I'm like, what the heck? I didn't even see it as a consumer. And so then I did try to emulate that a little bit on social media. So this was still when I was speaking to clients, I would post like a picture of hair that I did. And then I would have like the next day, uh, something they need to know about product. The next day, a hair how-to video. Uh, I don't know. And then the last one was like how to book with me or something like that. So I did follow a pattern for a little while. Um, but it's a learning curve and an experience. And also when I was doing that, it wasn't as readily available as it is now. COVID changed everything, right? Like everyone and their mom made a course about something. So now you can go and Google how to use social media and you can find all sorts of information, but that just wasn't as readily accessible back then. That was in 2017. And it just wasn't, at least for me, easy to find, you know? Googling is an art and I didn't know how to do it yet.
Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um so so throughout all of your time, like as we wrap it up here, um throughout all of your time as an independent stylist and uh talking about customer service, um I thought maybe you know the last uh you know 5 to 10 minutes or so uh we could talk about some of the things that uh, you talk about or you, uh, you know, you're talking about cu- using customer service and, and talking to customers and help helping them figure out how to talk to stylists. And now you're realizing that talking to stylists might have a greater impact, which makes sense because there's less of us and more of them. Exactly. You know? So, and, and uh, they're all N plus custom general population there is fickle like yes. getting their attention and like getting them to consume it's it's uh it's much easier to communicate with your own folk in my opinion anyway so um so you're you're at you're you're talking about customer service uh you're feeling like this comes this is your thing it comes naturally to you what i'm curious to identify any differences in um customer service between a salon and an independent stylist that's mm-hmm. gonna be on my mind because I all I, I also teach customer service and uh and I'm I've never been an independent stylist mm-hmm. so now you've worked in a salon you know I, you know at least a couple years you know it's a lot it was a long time ago but uh what do you uh is there anything that comes to to the top of mind when I say that yeah, well, so um, when I moved from the salon where I was paid by the hour to where I went and rented a booth, I was in a 16-chair salon with oh, four right. four yeah. nail technicians as well. So there was 20 of us, 20 of us independent contractors under one roof. And it sounds chaotic when I say that now, but um, there was a paid receptionist, but she had really kind of oddball hours. And so it was on us to really deal with our clients when they walked in the door. Um, I would go out of my way. Like if a client walked in the front door who just came in to like speak to anyone and I'd give them like two seconds, I'd always make eye contact with them when they walked in. I'd like look to see who walked in the front door, make eye contact. And if no one else is walking up to them, I would pause with my client, excuse me for one second. And I'd walk up there and say, can I help you? I would never let a customer go unattended at the front. And I can tell you more often than not, I got clients because of that, because no one else was paying attention to that person. And I was the one that took the opportunity to walk over, make eye contact and say hello. Right. And that was a missed opportunity for other people that didn't do that. And honestly, had I not done that, no one else was going to walk up to that person. Not a single person in there felt it, you know, obliged to walk up and speak to a customer. And this is at the booth rental. Yeah. This is at a booth rental with a ton of different people in there. Um, And so I would say like, you know, to me, customer service is just customer service. You know, I would not treat that person any differently if they walked into my paid by the hour salon, if they walked into the commission salon full of other people, or if they walked into my salon suite, I would greet them exactly the same and welcome them into my space exactly the same. I would walk them through the same like user sequence every time. Right. And it's like, you know, you're greeting them, you're welcoming, welcoming them in and asking how you can serve them. Right. Cause that's why we're here. We're service providers. So, uh, do you, is there anything, uh, out 
I, I'm trying to set this up to where I'm not telling you the what I'm asking you for because I'm yeah. curious if you like see this as well. When you're look, do you can look on social media like um, kind of scroll through, or are you uh, primarily a poster, a submitter? No. You're a consumer as well. I'm a consumer as okay. well for sure. So yeah. when you're consuming content, do you see people talking about? Um, about their business or making recommendations or trying to influence people like by giving them um, advice about how to run their business that is a contradiction to what you believe is a good attitude towards the customer? Yeah, actually. Uh, I created this uh, kind of alter ego persona that I was posting as for a while to, (laughs) I guess it was like my way of... um, saying you shouldn't do this. My alter ego is Cristal. And uh, Cristal believes that being a hairstylist is not about customer service. It's just about, you know, doing extensions and making boundaries and policies because, you know, no one wants to work hard. Uh, I have not posted as much with Cristal lately because um, I, I had a couple people message me that were like, Ah, you know, that might really call out some people. And I'm like, you're right, it will. But that's kind of the point. Like, there are so many coaches and industry leaders and experts out there that I believe are leading with the wrong foot in terms of like how to be successful in our industry. Yes, we need boundaries. Yes, we need policies. We have to take care of ourselves. That to me is a given. But first and foremost, our customers need to know that like they come first. Not really, right? Like, we're let, we're making them think they come first by serving them in a way where they're like, gosh, this person really cares about me and the outcome of my hair. Um, and when we when we lead with like a wall of like, you know, I'm only available during these hours. You can have business hours, but you don't have to be bitchy about it. You know, um, I'm only going to serve these kind of people. I'm like, give me a break. That's ridiculous. Uh, it's it's what am I? I'm trying to be kind by saying this, but. Um, I really strongly disagree with um, kind of pushing clients away and thinking that it's this very egocentric business because it is not. You will not survive in this industry if it's all about you. You are not the hero of the story when it comes to the story of your business. The hero of your story is your client, and it should be that way every single day. So I – and I'm sure this is not unique to DC, but um, – I'm in Washington, D.C., and uh, the restaurant scene ha- is, like, notoriously not good for so long. And uh, we've we've uh, we've gotten some Michelin-rated restaurants in D.C., so that's been cool. And what during the process of opening up all these new restaurants, uh, there was a trend, and I feel like it's probably still a trend. I just haven't seen a restaurant do that, and that could be because of COVID, but where you're not allowed to make reservations, and you have to stand in line. And there's like an hour-long line, you know, to the point where people are paying people on TaskRabbit to stand in line for them. And, uh, and I, I I saw that there were people giving out advice to stylists to create a, like a booking moment. Now, another trend was you could make reservations, but you could only make them 30 as far as 30 days out. So I couldn't like look six months out and book it, book it up. They wanted to create like a sense of urgency and FOMO and, um, that, that advice going around, what do you, 
you know, saying to people, you can only book so far in advance, uh, or I don't, I, you know, like people are like, oh, I only book up to 30 days in advance. That means your point, your clients can't pre-book. And um, what do you think about, what do you think about that? Well, before, hold on, sorry. It's not that specifically. I'm kind of prefacing something, kind of giving some context. So that idea is kind of definitely kind of working on the stylist being kind of like a celebrity. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I see it anyway. And I'm and that's the vibe I'm getting is like you're trying to establish put yourself up on this pedestal and so that people are like, oh, I want to go with them. And I think that that definitely works. And I'm just wondering like what you think about that, like whether it works or not is what um is one thing. But yeah, what anything come to mind when I'm talking about this? Yeah, no, I think um I think all of these flashy kind of things, I would consider that like a flashy marketing technique. Uh, it works to drum up excitement for sure. A hundred percent. You're going to get someone that's going to be like, oh, yes, I was one of the lucky ones that got an appointment. But now what happens when that client wants to come see you again and they didn't get an appointment? Did you build any loyalty? Did you build any trust? Did you build a relationship with that client? Or did you just make them feel like it was a one-off experience and now they're going to go find someone else that's more reliable that they can get in with? To well, me, what if it, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say like our, our businesses are like a membership. We have to consider them like you want recurring income from this person over and over again. That is what makes this career have longevity, right? It takes a lot of energy and a lot of stamina to go out and get new clients all the time. It takes well, what, if it, what if it was uh, I had that policy for new clients only? So then, so then my current client, my existing clients can pre-book. So then you would just allocate certain times that were only available for new clients to open up. I guess. I guess you'd have to figure out some sort of complicated scheme. To I'm sure software could figure it out. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's just say that, um, or not. Or not. Maybe, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I only, you can only, I don't know how you'd manage it, but let's just say that we figured it out. Yeah. The, the administrative part of it. Yeah. You know, I think to go back to the dental field, um, what dentist offices do is they allow their, you know, recurring uh, patients to schedule their next appointment, but they do save a space in every day for like emergencies, right? So that if you wake up with a toothache, you can call and get in. Right. So they allocate that time for specific types of services. And so maybe there could be something like that. But here's the thing um, they keep a wait list also of like, oh, so and so is booked out, but they want to get in sooner. And so if it's the day before that, um, if it's the day before a day and they don't have someone booked in that emergency service time slot, then they start calling people that want to get in and they fill that time. So it's not just an empty void. That's a lot of energy to put into something. And I don't think a lot of stylists want to do that. To me, that would be the only way this would work. Like, let's say you, okay, you have your recurring clients that want to book their times and um, schedule out. And then you have this special little time allocated for like the, okay, guys, my books are open. New clients can schedule now. Well, what happens if no one schedules in that time? Now you're trying to, well, yeah, without the admit. Yeah. But that's still the administrative portion. Yeah. Yeah. What about like just uh, do you think that if someone figured out that administrative side that that would be 
that's one way to change that approach or or adjust the approach so that way you're not sabotaging yourself by not allowing people to book appointments. Yeah, I think it's it could be done. Yeah, if there if there's like software or something that could make it Happy brainless software. for people. Yeah, exactly. Then that's the only way it would work. Yeah, the only way. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what about what about the um, you know, what about this like. I am Pablo Picasso and here's my piece of art. And uh, if you don't like it, that's fine. You can go somewhere else attitude. Oh, like once you do it on people's heads? Well, it's like I'm I'm the I'm the artist here and I'm celebrity and it's like if you don't like my work, then uh sucks for you but yeah. like, I'm an artist like, you know, it's uh, cuz like I'm hearing stories of people um not refunding people or fixing or charging people to fix and i'm not talking about i don't like it i'm talking about mistakes mm-hmm. and i'm so it's like oh like i wanted a diffused highlight and i got stripes like can you diffuse these streaks of blonde pieces whatever it's like that's not a fi- that's not a redo that's not a i don't like this that's a you didn't do what you said you were going to do and people are charging for your time because it's all about like charge you for your time charge for your worth and like i agree with that but um i've seen these other things happen and i do you have any uh anything to say on that i do i feel like you know um who determines your worth your clients do right i could i could charge a thousand dollars for a haircut but if no one pays it my haircuts aren't worth a thousand dollars right i think that kind of attitude it'll just kind of figure itself out in the wash. You know, there's only going to be so many times that someone can be Pablo Picasso and mess up someone's hair and not give a crap about it, that it's going to stay valuable. Um, I, I really think all of these like, you know, wild, crazy ideas that people come up with to be special in this industry are not going to last. It's like anything else, right? Like the little things that you do every day that keep you steady and kind of like along a good path are going to be what give you like longevity and security and consistency in your career. And those are the things that I think people should be focused on. Otherwise, all that other crap's going to burn you out. You know what I mean? Emotionally, physically, monetarily, um, that's going to cause all sorts of problems. And so it's, it's almost like a different business to me. Like I, I believe in customer service and like serving your client. And that is the opposite. That's like, no, you're just going to come pay me and I'm going to do some stuff on your head. And like, you don't get to have a say about it. No. We are commissioned artists, right? Yes, we're artists, but we're getting paid to do specific art on people's heads. And it can you, be uh, what do great. You, do you, how do you feel about the customer is always right? Or the customer is not always. I feel like we're, it's a customer is not always right time of yes. customer service. How do you, what are your thoughts on that? I, uh, I'm a firm believer in having very clear communication and setting expectations appropriately so that if there is a discrepancy at the end of the appointment, um, like for example, I coach to consultations, like literally writing things down and like writing a plan, like, you know, talking about it, collaborating with your client. You don't have to use technical terms, but you can say, okay, this is where we want to be. This is what I'm going to do to get you there. And this is where I'm expecting the result to be. And at the end of the appointment, 
you can compare. You can say, how did we do, right? You literally have proof to be like, this is what we talked about. And if at the end of the appointment, the client is like, yeah, we did that and I don't really like it. Cool. Let's talk about that. I would love to help you. You're not wrong that you don't like it, right? So I'm saying the customer's right if they don't like it. But what we're going to do is we're going to do a different service and that's going to be a look cost adjustment. So that means I'm going to charge you more to do a different service and I'm happy to do so. Let's make you happy, right? Because I want you to be happy. That doesn't mean I'm giving away my services. But if you come in without a clear plan, without a clear objective, and then you get to the end of the appointment, then it's kind of like he said, she said, right? And you have, you have no ground to stand on to be like, okay, well, that's what you said you wanted, but it's not. So then I guess I have to do it for free to fix it. Like, that's weird. Is this so, something that you have, uh, are you in a suite now? Uh, kind of. So I have a studio. It's like my all purpose studio that we're in, although I'm not really taking clients behind the chair currently. Did you ever work in a suite? Yes. Okay. So, um, I, the reason why I'm asking, cause I haven't, and, uh, is this something that you experience a lot? Like, do you find that clients are being like, I don't, I don't like this. And, um, there's like some sort of either breakdown of communication or, I mean, my experience is that it's very rare that a client isn't happy, uh, with the work after we do a consultation. And, uh, the only, usually a client might not be as happy if it's a first time client. And, uh, because like, I don't know the person, I don't know their hair and, uh, depending on what they're asking for, it might require some more understanding. Um, and then I just make the adjustment, you know, if I can make it that day, then I do. If I can't, then, uh, I have them come back and I won't charge them for it, uh, because I'm thinking I'm building a relationship. Now, if I have a person that does that more than once, and they're, it's like the thing, then I have to have a conversation with them. But like, I don't, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of wondering if this is more of like an independent stylist issue because, uh, I just don't see that many people complaining. And, uh, even like in the salon of all the stylists I work with, and I don't know if there's like a, a different vibe because there's so many people around and, um, I don't know. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Like, can you speak on that at all? Absolutely. Or? Yes. Um, I think in a salon environment where there's a lot of people around, a lot of clients won't actually speak out when they're unhappy too. It's really, really common for a client to just kind of politely say, thank you, pay for their hair and leave. And they're unhappy. I think in and a come, sweet- like come back. Sometimes, sometimes not. Like this, this is the thing when I talk about being a client advocate. Like I have talked to even non-clients of mine. Like I try to talk to everyone about salon experiences everywhere I go, and I have now for the last five years. It's really been like something I've tried to focus on. And people, I've coached clients, many, many clients, on how to talk to their hairstylist, and they're like, "Listen, I really like going to her, but she doesn't get it. Like she's she's not listening to you know the haircut that I want." And I'm like, "Yeah." And you keep going back and they're like, well, it's either the devil I know versus the devil I don't. Like I could go somewhere else and get like a worse job. And I'm like, okay, so you go, you get your haircut, you tip, you smile and you leave. Your hairstylist has no clue that you're unhappy, right? And yet if you could find someone and snap your fingers that would do your hair better, you would leave that hairstylist in a minute. 
You wouldn't even think about it because you've been so unhappy for six months. You need to speak out. You need to tell that stylist, like, listen, I'm really frustrated. This haircut's not working for me. But clients, a lot of the times, are so afraid to tell their hairstylist. They are so worried that they're going to piss off their hairstylist, and then they're going to be left with no one. Like, they're afraid to say they don't like it, and then the hairstylist is just going to be like, okay, fine, go somewhere else. Instead That's interesting. Of, That's so yeah. interesting. So when so – uh, the first thing I ask everybody in a consultation is like, how was how was last time? Like, is there anything about last time that you want me to adjust? Anything that really like you really liked, really something really didn't not really didn't like? And I get feedback. I mean, I get people like, yeah, actually, it's a little too short, or yeah, actually, I need a, I want a little bit more blonde, like a brighter blonde piece in the front. Um, I don't know. I just, it just seems like a lot of people have this conversation on social media about like customers saying that they don't like what they, what they already agreed to. Like they said, Oh, I want this thing. And it's like, Oh, I don't like it. And now I got to redo it. And I don't want to pay for that because I did what you asked for. And it's like, I literally, it's like maybe 1% uh, Mm -hmm. of people in my entire career. I've ever experienced that. And with a retention rate close around 90%, close to 90%, definitely like high 80s. And uh, new client retention, uh, maybe somewhere between 30 and 40%, something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. I don't know. I th- or, or maybe it's kind of like the... Um, the uh, cancellation policy or the uh, or the customer who violates your boundaries like maybe it's one of those things that doesn't happen that much uh, but when it does happen it's such a uh, trauma traumatic experience for people who you know maybe aren't prepared for it or haven't had it done before or you know maybe they don't have like a composition that's like kind of like sturdy enough to withstand uh criticism and so like for me that i i don't i i think that maybe it's getting more un, more attention than it is actually a reality and 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 that is my re- my truth you know and so like but i also think that you know it's a nice you know follow likes click subscribe buy now you know marketing funnel for me to walk around with a flag and be like see this flag i stand with you against difficult customers and then all of a sudden you have a difficult customer it resonates with you it creates a connection even though that happens definitely less than like 10 percent of everybody you do or less anyway that's my perspective would you do you have any i mean and we're running low on time and i i appreciate that uh that so maybe as we wrap up you want to respond to that I would love to. I think um, the biggest takeaway here is that you are open to criticism and your your ego is out of the equation when you get criticism from your clients. You do not wrap up your worth in your work. And I think a lot of hairstylists do, and they are not open to criticism. They will not be vulnerable with their client enough to say, What did you not like about last time? Was there anything that we can make different? They don't even want to approach that. That's scary. They don't want to admit that they did something wrong or bad. And I think that's where a lot of us go wrong. And then if you don't open that door for your client, they're not going to do it on their own, right? They're not going to like openly be like, hey, I wanted to talk to you about last time. That's just not going to happen. But if you start the conversation, the relationship with your client with openness and vulnerability and allow them to understand that they are okay to criticize your work because it's about them, not you, 
that is a very different dynamic in the salon. And that is exactly what I am trying to teach hairstylists. And I think that is where the huge miscommunication is everywhere. Gotcha. Awesome. Okay. Well, um, I know you just uh, said a huge takeaway, but I want to give you the opportunity to uh, add any like last piece of advice that you have to, uh, you can address any or all of the following, a rising stylist just in just entering the field that's watching social media and seeing way more videos about difficult clients than they're actually going to experience. Although maybe in the beginning of their career, they might actually experience a lot more because all the clients are going to be new. So anything to say to them or any sort of independent stylist that is feeling, you know, maybe they had like a, a run of customers who they felt like they didn't do a great job or at or maybe violated their boundaries or whatever. Like they're 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 alone and they need they they're looking for some advice or um yeah. Let's let's say one of those two. Okay. People. I think it's really important to understand that none of us are perfect. And that sounds really like cliche to say, but I think I need to say it because what we see on social media looks perfect, right? Um, none of us are ever going to be perfect. We're not supposed to be perfect. We are humans. We make mistakes. I heard someone say mistakes sometimes are just mistakes. It's an opportunity to have another take right? And if you use them as a learning moment, whether it's between you and your client or you and your own head to get better and improve, that's wonderful. And that's all you can do. I invite my clients into my mistakes and allow the opportunity for growth with them. Because again, it's about them, not me when it comes to their hair. So if something didn't work last time, I say, okay, so what can we do different? Let's dive into that a little bit more and stay curious. Because when you're curious, you're open to change and you stay creative. I think any and all of these problems that you know we see can be solved with curiosity and openness and vulnerability because it makes us approachable, uh, makes us comfortable, it makes us understand we don't have to be perfect, and the pressure is off of our shoulders. Nice. Awesome. Well, um, thank you for coming on the show, and uh, I enjoyed this conversation, and uh, it was a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you. Likewise, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. All right. Well, until next time, I'll take care and I'll see you then. Thanks, Robert.